Hi, how are you doing? My name's Stephen, and it's uh, my privilege to be preaching to you uh, today as part of a, a very exciting preaching series that we've got going on here at Emmanuel at the moment. Uh, we changed the name of our church at the beginning of the year from Church Christ the King to Emmanuel, and we're spending the majority of this term unpacking what being Emmanuel really means. And so the first uh, part of our series, we looked at what is the vision? Why do we exist as a church? And we stated it very clear that we are here to help people find their way back to God. And then in the last few weeks, we've been unpacking our core values. The first one was Jesus leads the church. And we looked at the fact that God uses his word, the Bible, and the method of prayer, and also giving us leaders, leaders who follow Jesus, that we can then follow ourselves to then lead the church. And in the last few couple of weeks, we've been looking at the second value, which is everything changes except the gospel. And we're going to continue looking at that uh, today. The first two parts, the first part, we look to the fact that the, the church has to be built upon the gospel and the message that Jesus has given us and that to build it on any other foundation is dangerous ground and we quickly become unstuck. And then last week, we looked at the fact that when we build our lives and our church on the gospel, what can we expect as a result? What are the benefits of that? So go back and listen to them. They're great. And, uh, but today, uh, we're going to move on to the next part of this same value. We're going to look at the everything changes part. The last two weeks, it's been looking at accept the gospel. The fact that we're going to grab hold of the gospel, hold it firmly, not move from it, faithfully grab it, not let it go. And that's one of the great things about this church. We love the preaching of God's word. We want to shape everything we do around it. And we don't want to let it go. But the reality is once we've got the message, we can suddenly mess with everything else. And suddenly everything else can change around it. We're not wedded to anything other than the gospel of Jesus himself. And so we're going to look at that today by looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Feel free to turn there if you've got your Bible or your app on your phone or something. But before we get there, I've got a couple of other passages that I'd love to introduce you to first. It's really important that we get hold of this message, this message of the gospel. I don't know whether you've got hold of it yet. Maybe you're somebody who's been a Christian a long time. You think, yeah, I've got it. I love it. I love what Jesus has done for me. And maybe you haven't. Well, the message of the gospel is very simply the fact that all of us need a saviour. All of us have got stuff wrong. That means we're now separated from God and we need help back to be in a relationship with him. We need someone else to take the punishment for our sins that we can be right with God, back in relationship with him. That's what Jesus did. That's when Jesus came to earth, came to die and then was resurrected to new life, offering us the hope of resurrected life as well, eternal life with him. Wonderful good news. And once you've got hold of that message, you then get to go on an exciting journey of taking that message to other people. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the fact that we can mess with everything else in church life and Christianity as long as we've got the message. Why? Because we want to go on mission and take it far and wide to all kinds of people, wherever they may be. And uh, the Apostle Paul, who wrote lots of the New Testament, has got lots to say on this. And so one other passage that he wrote is, uh, he's written two letters to Corinthians. We're going to look at the first one in a few moments. But the second one, he wrote this. He said, all this is from God. This great gospel that I've given you, this wonderful message of what Jesus has done for you. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, 
not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Paul is using this word reconciliation. He's saying, you were reconciled. God, in, in the form of Jesus, came and reconciled you back to himself. And now you are then going to do the same. You are going to help reconcile other people back to God. And it should be a natural overflow. It should be a natural outworking of being saved. A natural outflow of being, becoming a Christian is you want other people to become a Christian as well. You've not just got good news, you've got the best news. Why would you want to keep it to yourself? Share it as much as you can. Not only is it kind of a natural inclination of Christians, it's also something we've been commanded to do. Jesus, in the last few words, the kind of last few things that he said to his followers, his disciples, said this in Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They're commanded to go out and do exactly that. Go and make disciples. Go and find other people and help them come and know Jesus. So the question today we're asking is, well, not what is the gospel? We've been looking at that a lot over the last few weeks. But rather, how do we deliver this message? And Paul gives us a little clue in that bit early. He said, we're to be ambassadors. And I don't know what you think of when you think of being an ambassador. I think of kind of smartly dressed men and women who work for one government, who are driving through the city of another country in their blacked out Mercedes with little flags on the front, proud of their nation and building a relationship with foreign governments. And I've got a couple of friends who work for different embassies. I've got a friend of mine who I went to school with who works at the Japanese embassy. And I've got a friend of mine who now works for the British embassy out in Portugal. And uh, they're proud of who they are, their government, and they're there to build a relationship with different uh, people groups. And uh, so often, uh, we are not the ambassadors we should be. As Christians, we're meant to be ambassadors for Christ. We've been one to a new kingdom. No, no longer is our, kind of our uh, nationality we're brought into the most important thing to us. I'm British through and through, but actually more important than that, I'm in Jesus' kingdom. I'm now part of the King of Kings, his kingdom, and I want to be an ambassador for him. And uh, there's been seasons of my life, and maybe that's the same for you, that I've not so much been an ambassador as much as I've been a secret agent, that I'm very much part of God's kingdom, but I'd be quite happy if no one really knew about it. I don't really want it to um, impact my life or impact what other people think of me. But Paul, who wrote these words, he was saying, no, you're to be ambassadors, to be bold for Christ. And my, really my prayer for us is that we take this seriously. Say, God, thank you for this amazing message that you've given. We don't want to mess with it. It's so pure and wonderful and holy. I want to put my trust fully in it. But now help me go and give it away to other people. And so there's this same Paul. He wrote the, the main verses that we're going to be looking at today. And that's in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'm going to read it to us, uh, but I'm going to miss out the bits in brackets, just so you can hear the flow of this passage. It's not because the bits in brackets are important, but just so you can hear the flow of what Paul's saying. Here it is. It says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessing. 
Hopefully in that you can hear just the passion that Paul has. He's saying, wow, this gospel I've been given means I'm totally free. No, I don't owe anyone anything. I just owe Christ. But because I'm now free, I want to make myself a servant to every person I'm with that I might win them for the sake of the gospel. It might be Jewish people, it might be people who are under the law, people who are outside of the law, it might be weak people, whoever it is, I want to become like them, build bridges with them, become an ambassador to them, so I share the blessing that I have received. I want to come all things to all people that I might save them and win them for them. So my friends who are ambassadors or work for embassies in various places in the world, they've had to go and learn languages, learn customs and cultures, learn about the different contexts that they're working in. Why? So they can do their job properly. And we do the same. We need to learn the context we're in so we can be a blessing to people, that we can win them for Jesus. And this is true for us as a corporate community, as Emmanuel, as a community of believers here in this city in Brighton and Hove and in Shoreham. But it's also true for us personally as well, the different contexts that we find ourselves in. Maybe the context you're in right now, you're thinking, I've kind of just ended up here. This isn't where I wanted to be. Things haven't quite worked out. But the Bible says that he knew, God knows the times and places that you would live. And there's people that he wants you to reach, people that he wants you to bless. Let me pray and then we begin to unpack this together. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for just the amazing blessings that you've poured out into our lives. Those of us who are believers here, those you've won to your family, Lord God, thank you that you've also won to a great purpose, to share the blessing that you've poured into our lives. Lord God, that we might see others won to you. We might help others back to knowing you. They may be reconciled, know their sins forgiven, know an eternal life and a hope with you. And our God, just pray, help us as we look at these verses, that we might be encouraged, that we might be convicted, that we might have a new sense of boldness and urgency around the things that you're calling us to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So this reaching of different people is that everything changes bit. And so we refer to this as we talk about it as a leadership. We talk, use the word contextual or contextualization. So I'm taking this message and finding out how it best fits in different contexts. The message of the gospel never changes. We've been banging that drum for a few weeks now. But it must be culturally relevant without becoming compromised by the culture. Therefore, here at Emmanuel, we spend a lot of time talking about the different contexts we're trying to reach which basically means taking the truth of Christianity and finding ways to express them in different contexts. So when Paul was writing this passage, he said, to the Jews, I've come the Jews, etc., etc." But what would he say to us if he was part of one of our sites? Well, if he was based at the Clarendon Centre, reaching Brighton, he might say, hey, I want to reach Brighton by becoming a Brightonian. Or he might say, hey, if I'm based in Shoreham, I want to reach Shoremites becoming a Shoremite. Or maybe based at the race course, trying to reach people in the east end of the city by becoming an east ender. <laughs> or maybe if he's based at Hove, he'll become Hovish. Um, who knows? Thanks for the one person who laughed at that joke. <laughs> and we're going to look at this at a couple of levels. How do we get into the context? How do we become like the people around us that we might build bridges for the sake of letting them be blessed in the way that we have been blessed? I'm going to look at that personally. I'm also going to look at what that means for us as a community. If you're a believer here, this is the thing that you are now on earth to do. We want to worship God with all our lives. Yes, by singing songs and raising our hands in worship. 
but also living it day by day in front of other people and letting them know the love of Jesus. If you're not a believer here, you're looking in, well, hopefully there's things for you to see in terms of who we are as a people and the things that we are passionate about. So I'm going to speak about this under five points. Um, and uh, the first couple are just short ones, and then we're going to get it into the meat of stuff as well. So the first one is, being contextual is godly. God has been on a mission to reach people right since the moment that mankind messed it up. Right at the beginning when people rebelled against God, decided to go their own way, God had a plan to rescue them and win them and bring them back to himself. In fact, he had that plan in place even before they did it. God, before the creation of the world, already knew what he was going to do to rescue people and to love on them. How did he do it? He got contextual. God didn't stay far off. No, he got right into the context of mankind. He sent his son, Jesus, to become a man. The eternal God, God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit had an eternal plan together. How are we going to do this? So, hey, Jesus is going to go. Uh, The Winter Olympics has now started and uh, I haven't watched much other than the opening ceremony, but I'm looking forward to watching a bit of Bob Slay. I like a bit of that, or the skeleton Bob. People chuck themselves down kind of solid ice tubes at ridiculous speeds. I think that sounds like fun. And uh, I enjoy it for a couple of reasons. I enjoy watching people kind of break records and that kind of stuff. But I also enjoy the one guy who's there with a cowbell. I don't know if you watched that. There's always a guy, ding, 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 all the way through. I'm like, who are you? What are you up to? And there's also another guy who's also standing right next to a tube. He's found his spot. He knows where the camera is. And he's got a placard that says John 3.16. He's like, this is it. I'm going to do this with Jesus. I'm going to hold this placard up for every uh, Bob Stay run. And he, he puts that verse up from the Bible uh, because he knows that in that verse contains the whole gospel. You know, or, or summarize, a, nice, a nice summary of it. And John 3.16 is the most famous verse in the Bible. It says this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He sent his only son. That Jesus came to earth, became incarnate. It's a word we often use a lot at Christmas, but incarnate means became flesh. He became human. He came into our context as a real person, into a real time in history, into a specific culture, into a specific family, with a specific profession, with a specific family group, got right into a context and did life with people. Learned what it was to be hungry and to eat, to know what it was to be tired and to sleep. Knew what it was to relate to people, have friendship. Know what it was to go through grief and anguish, to suffer, to be betrayed and to ultimately die for us as well. He did this so that he could fully empathise with us. That he would know what it was to be a man. What it was to be mankind. To become as a human. Not staying far off. You think, oh God, you could have done it another way. Could have just sent some message or written it in the sky or sent some angels. But no, you decide to come yourself to earth. And as he did it, he didn't sacrifice being godly anymore. He wasn't saying, oh, now I'm going to come and I'm no longer going to be the holy God. No, he managed to live a pure and spotless and holy life. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, but yet was without sin. So it's encouragement for us, church. We can take this message into any context and still be holy and blameless. There's ways to do that. We're not compromising by doing that. Actually, we're just following our Lord Jesus in doing that. The great thing is that not only did Jesus do it, he also is encouraging us to do it as well. He says this to his disciples in John 20. Peace be with you. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Do you know that as a Christian, you are a sent one? God was the sent God, and now he's sending you, his people, out into the world to do his bidding. And so that's what the church is for. The main way that God said to do it is, hey, go and plant churches. Go and be the church. Be a community together, shining like a light into the communities and the context you find yourselves. Being contextual is godly. Being contextual also means we're careful not to add to the gospel. Again, we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of weeks, but worth underlining again. We mustn't place emphasis on our own interpretation or our particular style or preference when we're building church or when we're giving the message of Jesus to other people. I loved how Joel, just a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that some churches have made the mistake of uh, making traditions that have lasted literally centuries, you know, 1,300 years of tradition. And they're, just, they're there because, well, they were always there. This is always how we did things. Not well thought through. Not thinking, does this communicate the gospel to the people in front of us? But just because that's their preference or that's just the way they always do things. And sometimes we can look at church like that thinking, wow, you know, you need to kind of become a bit more modern, come up to, up, up to date. And think, hey, we've got it. Well, we've been around 40 years. 40 years is easily long enough to put your own traditions in and your own preference. In fact, you don't need to be going very long at all for your preference to be the thing that uh, constrains you and uh, kind of uh, marks out the way that you do things. And we need to be those who are radical, removing any kind of blockages or barriers for people from hearing the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done. PJ Smythe, who is a friend of our church, who has preached here a few times over the years, uh, he spoke to us about um, our Sunday gatherings, actually our gatherings when we come together. It's been like our living room, like our lounge. And uh, when, when people come in to hear about Jesus, that we're trying to t- treat it like that. That our lounge, it's our lounge, it's our living room. It's still ours in that sense. But when you have people come round, you want to do everything you can to make them feel comfortable. To feel like, hey, I can engage with you here. I can feel at home. It's not my home, but I can feel at home. And we want to be doing that with everything we do. Try to help people, invite them in and say, hey, come and be comfortable with us. We've got some great things to share with you. Come and, come and be with us. There's plenty about the gospel that is difficult. And we're telling people, you know what? You've got to realise that you're a sinner, that you've got things wrong. That's not a popular message, people. We're telling people, hey, you're going to have to humble yourself and no longer be Lord of your own life, but let Jesus be Lord of your life. You're going to have to publicly stand and say, I am all out for Jesus. And hey, you can dunk me in a pool of water while you're at it as well. So there's enough barriers already for people coming to Jesus. We don't want to add anything to that. No, it's those barriers are good. Those are the right things. Those are the things of the gospel. We don't need to put other barriers, other hoops to jump through or hurdles to jump over. It's easy to set up our own set of preferences in church life. But if you're already in, it's not about your comfort. It's not about what we want. It's about making the gospel winsome and intelligible for other people. And so we want to work really hard at that as a group, of, uh, as, as a group together. And as leaders, we take this very seriously. How do we reach the culture we're in right now? How do we remove any blocks from people coming to know Jesus? Being contextual also means we're careful not to take away anything from the gospel. It would be easy to throw out stuff that we read in the Bible that is a bit kind of difficult to talk about in our culture. Not very palatable to those who don't yet know Jesus. But we must hold on to the truth of the word. Not just the simple gospel, the whole word of God. That's what we're called to preach and stand upon. Unswervingly, unmovingly holding onto it. And there's things about sexual ethics 
and identity and sanctity of life, the city that we find ourselves in, I'm not going to want to hear. But you know what? We want to, as far as we can, get into the culture. But there will be points where we need to take a stand. But when we do, we want to do it from a point of knowing the city, of loving them and understanding them. Paul went to new context. The guy who's writing this letter, he went to all kinds of new context, planting churches, telling people the wonderful truths of the gospel. And every time he went to someone new, he found new ways to say it, engaging with the culture in different ways. But he never once changed the truth itself. No, he stayed true to it. And Paul makes the point that living for Christ isn't about just being winsome in itself. We're not just existing just to win people and get them to like us or like Emmanuel. No, we want them to like Jesus. We want them to find out that he likes them, more to the point, and he loves them, and we want to communicate it. But the message we have is offensive, and people aren't going to like to hear it. Paul says this in Galatians 1.10, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. If you're a Christian, you're signing up for a message that isn't popular. You're literally signing up for unpopularity in that sense. The message is offensive. We mustn't water it down. We mustn't be tempted to chuck things out just to make it a bit more palatable for other people. No, no, we're going to stand upon the truth. But with everything else, we're going to try and be as welcoming and open and warm to other people. Being contextual means we're committed to change. We want to be flexible and adaptable as people. Jesus told his disciples to go to Jerusalem, where they currently were, and to Judea, the kind of area they're in, then to Samaria, the area that's next door, and then to the ends of the earth. He's saying, I want you to go to all cultures, all peoples, everywhere. Every tribe and tongue and language and culture. In my living room, we've got a coffee table book that's full of cultures of the world, some of the cultures of the world, big book. And it's full of just variety and people who look different to me and dress differently and eat differently and live differently and have different architecture and, and music and culture. God is the God of diversity, a God who loves variety and colour. He loves it. He loves, he's a very creative God. You look at that kind of the different cultures represented in the world. You look at the different animals in the world. You think, God, wow, you are a creative God. You love variety. There's no way that God wants a cookie cutter church. Hey, this is the church that is in Brighton. This is how it should look somewhere else. No, no. Wherever the church exists, it must take on that culture. That God must be expressed and honoured in each culture that it finds itself in. And uh, there's been right down through the centuries, sometimes people have done this really well as Christians, sometimes people have done this very poorly. Sometimes people, literally British missionaries, have gone places and uh, given the gospel and given it in such a way they said, but you need to build your buildings like our buildings in Britain. And you must speak British and you must sing these particular hymns and this, that and the other. And totally missed, the, missed it in that sense. Other people have done it really well. They've gone to cultures and spent time listening and learning and realising that God loves the people there, loves the culture they've got. And those bits that are missing, that Jesus is in the centre of it. But when Jesus comes into the centre of it, some of that culture is able to honour Jesus as well. But it's not just about different places. It's also about different times. Change is here to stay. I've been in Brighton now for 17 years and... uh, My wife's got a picture in her wallet um, of uh, when we were dating, when we first arrived. And uh, my kids have picked out recently and said, oh, where were you guys going? What what party was it? And uh, I was like, nowhere. Like, yeah, but you're wearing a fancy dress. 
I was like, that isn't a fancy dress, that's just what we wore. That's just how it is. You know, fashion charges on at a ferocious pace, doesn't it? That's the reality of it. And that's just a superficial thing. But, and you know, I think when I first came to university, Facebook didn't exist. Some of you are thinking, what? There was a time when Facebook didn't exist? Yes, it once at one point it did not exist. The technology has charged on as well, continues to charge on. Facebook's now dying. You know, it's had its peak and other things are now taking its place. Those are just shallow examples. But the reality is the, the, the kind of philosophy, the way people think about things changes at a rapid pace. And we're to learn it. We're to be those who are good at saying, hey, what does our culture think about different things now so we can communicate them, so we can build bridges and relate well to them? If you are an ambassador to the, uh, to the Great Britain from another country, you'd have to learn etiquette maybe about meeting the Queen. And my wife has met the Queen and was sent an etiquette card. And it says in it, when you first address the Queen, you're to say, Your Majesty. And then after that, as you continue to speak to her, you're to call her Ma'am. That rhymes with jam. That's what it actually says on the etiquette cards. Not Ma'am that rhymes with lip balm. That's not an etiquette card. But there's very clear customs and ways that we speak to people and get to know them. And that's, sometimes that changes over time. And we have to be intelligent in terms of learning those things. Be wise about the things that, people, that concern people and learning it. Let me give you one example. There used to be a time when people used to go to coffee shops for coffee. No longer the case. Now we go for the vibe. Well, I want this coffee shop because it's the right temperature and because the stools are just about high enough and the sofas aren't too low and it's got the right kind of music and there's free Wi-Fi and, and all that kind of stuff. Suddenly, our tick list for a coffee shop is not just coffee. It's like the right kind of coffee, you know, that kind of stuff. There's a real experience culture that we have now in our culture and that's really important. So we're thinking about our Sunday meetings, thinking about how we set up church. Actually, we're thinking, well, you know, we know our culture cares about the kind of vibe. And so we spend a lot of time thinking about that, thinking about who's making the playlist as people come into the meeting. You know, it's not just the sound guys saying, oh, I fancy this this week. No, no, we think about those things because we care about the kind of vibe. Is it the most important thing? No, it's not. It really isn't. Jesus is the most important thing. We don't want to be ignorant about these things. Little barriers that could be. So people people coming in thinking, what's going on? This, this, this church is listening to music from like whenever type thing. Or this is just cheesy or whatever. It's like, no, actually, we want to think about things that help. They don't get in the way of people coming to know Jesus. And there's nothing that we won't change. We would even change our name. That's what's a big driver behind us changing our name and our branding. It's because we want to do best for the mission right now. How do you reach people? Well, we don't think Church of Christ the King as a name isn't really serving us in the way we'd like it to. So let's think of what name would do. And we went through a whole process of that, including of our branding too. The way we communicate. We know that right now our society is not, doesn't have the biblical literacy, doesn't have the biblical background and knowledge that previous generations has. And so therefore, when we communicate things about the Bible, we just have to unpack it a bit more. Just say, hey, when we're talking about different things, I was once in a small group and I said, hey, we're reading a, a letter by a guy called Paul to a church in so-and-so. I'm like, oh, great. Uh, where does Paul go to church now? Is he one of our sites? I was like, not so much. So he's not been around for about 2,000 years, but good question. And it's just like, yeah, it, it sounds funny, maybe if you've been around for a while, but if you've not been brought up in any, any biblical community, then why would you know? That's a very reasonable question. Just knowing, hey, there's a, a new level in which we need to relate with people. 
We've changed our small groups a lot in the last five, six years uh, because we thought, actually, the way we're doing small group wasn't the best in terms of reaching people, and particularly those who are coming new to faith. So we thought, actually, what way can we do it? And so we thought, well, just innovate. Let's work it out. And we're still in the process of doing that. And hopefully you've found that to be a, a, a helpful change, both for yourself personally, but also helping other people connect with the people of God. What about worship? In 10 years' time, if we're still singing all the same songs, all the same arrangements, we will have missed it. Music moves on again at a ferocious rate. We want to change and keep up with the times. Not because we want to be hip, but because when people come in, they think, oh, I can connect with this. I can connect with the the lyrics and how how you're phrasing things. I can connect with this kind of arrangement of music. This, 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 This helps me understand more of who Jesus is. We need to connect more with technology. There's plenty of people, I'm sure, who've preached against the use of technology. The reality is technology is a gift to the church. When the printing press was first invented, whenever it was, someone could probably tell you which year, but hundreds of years ago, you know, literally the, the church did a kind of big kind of fist pump in the air. It's like, yes, the printing press exists. We can get the message of Jesus further and further as a result. We can print off loads more and get into the hands of ordinary people. We should be the same with technology. Like, yes, technology exists. It means we can get the message of Jesus further and further. Now, sure, social media can unnecessarily sap all our time. There's lots of stuff out there that's just not good and not helpful and just downright sinful. Let's not kid ourselves. But also, social media is where people exist. That's where people do life. And therefore, we need to do life there as well. We need to engage, we need to engage with YouTube and with Instagram and other things, and say, you know, we want to say, say, we want to do that. We want to do it in a wise way, intelligible way, that connects with people, that does more listening than it does preaching, definitely. And we're not being fanish about it. We're not flip-flopping around these things. No, we want to look at these things wisely and say, how do we use each of these things to reach people with the message of Jesus? Maybe these things don't seem very spiritual to you, but that's what Paul was talking about. We're saying, well, I'm coming, becoming like a Jew or like someone without the law or, or someone who's weak. Well, I'm thinking, how do I do this? I'll use all means possible to do it. Nothing's outside the realm of Jesus using for the sake of, of reaching those who don't know him. Companies spend billions and billions and billions of pounds upon research, learning about cultures and contexts so they can sell more burgers, so they can sell more insurance products. Should we not, therefore, spend at least some time getting to know the culture which I reach? You know, we've got much better message than the new Big Mac, let me assure you. And so we should be thinking, how do we do that? We talk a lot this church about uh, bless, that people of God are meant to be a blessing, right since the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of the Bible, right through to the end. The people of God are called to be a blessing to those around them. And we take that very seriously here. And we use the BLESS acronym, B-L-E-S-S. And the first, but first B, it says, begin with prayer. We want to pray for people and we pray for opportunities to tell them about Jesus. The second one is L. L for listen. And we want, those who are, we want to be those who are good at listening to the culture and the context we find ourselves in. Whether that's Shoreham or Hove or Brighton or wherever you find yourself. What does that mean for us as a church? What does that mean for us individually? Listening to other people. Understanding where they're coming from. Understanding that Jesus is the answer for all their needs. But knowing how to answer that in a way that's wise and helps them to understand and connect with him. Always asking the question, how do I help this person find their way back to God? We're going to ask the questions, what are the, what, how are people voting? What are the things that concern people? What are the films and the box sets that people are binging on right now? 
What are the uh, ways they do relationship? The way they do their parenting? What's their philosophy on truth and eternity, the environment, on the Bible? What's, what do they think about God, if they even think about God? We want to listen and understand where people are coming from. So when we speak the message, we're speaking in a way that hits where they're kind of, kind of itches where they're scratching, as it were. How flexible are you personally? How often do you think, oh, I wish this church was a bit more like this? Now, we all have our preferences, ways that we'd like things to be done. And it's okay to have those preferences. And sometimes it's a bit painful when things aren't the way we'd like it to be. But keep asking you, but is the way we're doing it better in terms of helping people find their way back to God? If you think there's a better way, let us know. Because we want to be good at this. Speak to your site leader. Let us know. And this isn't just about Brighton and Hove and Shum. This is also about the other churches that we're planting elsewhere in Amsterdam, in Berlin and Ottawa and Krakow. They're cities like us and so lots of things will be similar. But they're different cultures. And again, we want to listen and learn and speak the language that they're speaking. Okay, last point. Being contextual is dangerous. There's a danger of over-contextualising and there's a danger of under-contextualising. It would have been really helpful if God had just written down in the Bible a tick list of how to do church and how to do mission. Like, this is what you wear, this is what you sing, this is how long you have your meetings, etc., etc., etc. But he didn't do that, which is a real shame. I'm a real list tick-boxing person. That's, that's how I would like things. But God's not done that. No, he said, no, creativity and the Spirit is with you and you're to go and make disciples of the nations, working it out. Not by yourself, I'm coming with you. I'm going to give you power and the wisdom to do it. But we've got to notice there's a real danger of under-contextualising. Especially if we've been around the church for a while. Suddenly we're, we're comfortable here. We're rocking up thinking, yeah, you know, I'm here to hear the message for myself, worship for myself. Not thinking, is this a place that other people can come and connect with Jesus? And the reality is it takes time, it takes work, it takes energy to work this stuff out. And it's costly. And it means we've got to break out of our bubble that we put around ourselves. And I think, ah, do you know what? I need to go and connect with those who don't know Jesus. This is the reason I exist on earth. Not just leaving it to happen on Sundays, other people to work out, not just to the Alpha course is running, but actually I have a personal uh, conviction that I'm meant to be doing this. Sometimes when you begin to innovate, uh, you can even have your reputation tarnished by other Christians. That's happened right down through the centuries. People looked at John the Baptist and said, hey, he's, he must be demonic the way that he's acting. Or Jesus, he must be a drunkard. There's other men and women who've innovated for Jesus, tried to read the cultures around them who are being uh, kind of accused of being unorthodox or outrageous in the way they live. But the reality is we need to get outside of our bubble. We need to innovate with those around us, working out how to reach them for, with, with the blessing that we've been reached with. We must be intentional. This isn't going to happen by accident. People who don't know Jesus aren't fighting you to tell them about Jesus. You know, there's lots of other people who are putting you all kinds of directions. I know people at work want a bit of my time. Some of the volunteer work I'm doing, they want some of my time. My kids want my time. My wife wants my time. My friends want my time. My parents want my time. No one's saying, oh, Stephen, but also I'd like your time because I would like you to come and tell me about Jesus. That doesn't happen. So we have to have a conviction that we need to be living in a way that we want to tell people about him all the time. We want to share the blessing that we've received. Not just praying for opportunities. Let's please do that. But go and make opportunities. You don't need to wait for something written in the sky. Wait for some amazing opportunity. It's great when that happens. I love that. You know, sometimes God just drops an opportunity in your lap, but some does say, hey, can you tell me about your faith? Most of the time that doesn't happen. You just need to go and make them. You're thinking, well, I'm not sure I should or not. The Bible says it. <laughs> Simple as. Go and do it. Being on mission, taking the message to people has always been uncomfortable. 
It was not comfortable for Jesus to come to earth and come into our context. But you can start small, just where you are. Maybe this week just saying, hey, I was at church on Sunday. They talk about a new course about Alpha. Why don't you come along to it? Very simple. Simple question, simple request, simple conversation starter. What's the worst that could happen? Honestly, what's the worst that could happen? It's a danger of under-contextualizing. There's also a danger of over-contextualizing. As we've talked about kind of being on mission or being missional uh, over the last decade, I've seen people kind of think, oh, I like the sound of this. It basically means I can do whatever I want and just put it under the bracket of I'm on mission. I can wear what I want, go where I want, do what I want because I just want to be with people. But there's no sense of wanting to do those things for Jesus. It's just doing it because they want to do that. It's more comfortable to be able to just kind of be absorbed into the culture. Less of ambassadors, more like chameleons. You know, you, you wouldn't really notice them because they just blend right in. There's no sense of taking a stand and saying, hey, I want to introduce you to Jesus. They're not building relationships because they want to uh, kind of bring the message across it. They're just building relationships because it's comfortable for them. Is that where you're at? Maybe you're under-contextualizing right now and you're just happy living in your safe Christian bubble. Or maybe you're over-contextualizing. You're living safe in the world. Not, no one really knows your faith or who you are. Maybe it's because there's a lack of urgency in, it, in you. Maybe there's a fear of others. Maybe you're worried about getting it wrong. Let me just help you now. You're going to get it wrong. We do. None of us is going to preach the gospel perfectly. None of us is going to share Jesus perfectly. We're going to mess up. And as I've been thinking about this message this week and talking to others, I heard a couple of great stories. Someone said they're about to go off to university and they suddenly realised, I've not shared my faith with some of my schoolmates. And so, you know what, last ditch attempt. And I just opened up the gospel with someone and said, hey, let me just tell you what I think about Jesus. And then went off to university. And then a few years later, I found out the person I shared it with came to Jesus. I said, you know, thank you for helping me begin a journey with him. And uh, they didn't have all the answers, didn't lead them to, to uh, kind of salvation themselves, but just begun and helped that person begin their journey. And uh, my wife, when she was at university, uh, she was in a very interesting friendship group who were uh, um, just into some stuff that was just not particularly good, not particularly edifying, not a great place for her to be, but she was committed to being with them because she wanted to just share Jesus with them. And you know what? Jesus went to some pretty slimy places. And he hung out with prostitutes and drunkards and kind of corrupt tax collectors and stuff like that. He was happy to be associated with them. Why? Because he loved them. And he wanted them to receive the, the good news. And that was my wife's perspective on it. And uh, it, it was hard at times. She often come away feeling a bit slimed by time with them. Uh, but a few years later, one of her uni mates uh, kind of contacted her and said, hey, I'm getting baptised. We're like, what? She's like, yeah, I've, I've been going to church. I've, I've got saved. Please come on to my baptism. Go to another church in another town uh, nearby. So we went along and I was sitting there uh, listening to her baptism story. And she says, there's this girl at university who would always hang out with us, but never get involved in quite the things we're involved in, but just loved us and just, uh, just uh, talked to us about Jesus. And it just got me thinking. And I've been on a, on a journey ever since that point. You know, just start where you're at. Share Jesus in the context you find yourself. It would have been nice for Jesus to give, give us a cookie cutter. Hey, this is what it looks like. Other religions do that. They say, hey, this is what you're to wear. This is what you're to say. This is when you're to kneel. This is when you're to stand. This is when you're to pray. This is how you're to dress. All that kind of stuff. That's not Christianity. Christianity is it's the gospel. We will not let go of it. But every context we're in, we're going to change everything else that we might win some. Make the effort. 
Find out what is it you need to change your life that you might win some people for Jesus. Do you have any ideas about what we can change even in Emmanuel that we might be better at reaching people? Have me thinking about it maybe this week. Praying for boldness and God help me to be bold for you. If you're not a believer here, you don't yet know Jesus. I just want to say to you, Jesus loves you. He knows your context. He knows everything you've ever been through. He knows your thoughts and feelings. He knows your name. He knows the numbers of hairs on your head. And he wants to reach out with his hands and say, come to me. I love you. I've got offering you eternal life, forgiveness for your sins. I want to remove shame and guilt from your life and give you purpose and, uh, and, and, and fullness of life. And uh, he knows your context and he came for you. And uh, we'd love to introduce you to him. Uh, you can come to the communion tables and we can talk to you about that. Or why don't you sign up for one of the Alpha courses we've got going on? And uh, you can ask questions and find out more there as well. Let me finish by praying for us. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you that you didn't stay far off, but you sent your very own son to come into our context, that we might hear the truth, that we might know, what, know the, how bad our sin is, but also there's one who can take it away, who loved us enough to receive the punishment on our behalf, that we might be loved and be blessed. And God, we want to take this blessing to the places we find ourselves. And right now, we're in Brighton, Hove and Shoreham. Lord God, let us do it with all our might. Lord God, let us go for it uh, with your boldness and with your power, trusting in you for the fruit, uh, Lord, as we're faithful to the thing you've called us to do. Lord God, help us not to hold anything too sacred other than the gospel, Lord God, but happily just forego our preference and just go after you, we pray. Lord, we say, God, would you give us a great harvest in this city, Lord? We long to see many others uh, saved and added to your church uh, this coming year, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.